guys, before we get started, I, I do want to point out again this, um, this sign-up sheet up here concerning this ministry that we support as a church out in Fraser um, Youth Visions. It's a, it's a, many of you have been a part of it already. It's just really a very fine um, uh, outfit. Um, it's in, a, of course, an under-resourced part of our city. Um, great people running it. And so we try to help them have a spring break. That's what this is about. Uh, we, we volunteer to do sports camps and uh, crabs and Bible studies and all those things. And it's three days, uh, March 12th, through the, Monday through Wednesday. There's all kinds of sign-up uh, opportunities for you if you're interested in something, an hour or two or two days or one day, whatever whatever portion of a week that you would be interested, it's available to you. So take a look at that before you leave tonight. <clears throat> um, I, I've uh, told you last week, and I think I can keep my word uh, tonight, I think we can finish up this whole, not, not the whole thing, because I'm not finished by any stretch with um, Mark chapter 7. But in terms of the, uh, the legalism portion of this whole uh, discussion, I think we can wrap that up tonight, that part, and then we'll go back and and go to the other end of the, of the spectrum and, and look at that. Um, so let me, let me just remind you, um, um, I, what, I've, what I've given you over the weeks is three uh, very large and significant characteristics of uh, legalism and legalistic ministries. Um, one is self-glory. That was the first one. The second one was a uh, misdefinition or an underdefinition uh, of godliness. That was the second one. And the third one, which we looked at last week, was um, that the role of the Holy Spirit is undervalued. It's underemphasized. And um, you may recall that we looked at this um, 2 Corinthians 3 passage where, um, where Paul, I, I think, is discussing some of these matters. And I just wanted to remind you by uh, drawing your attention to that, at that passage again. Some of the things, some of the words that he uses to describe what I think are describing legalistic ministries, he uses a terminology like this in verse 7. He calls it this ministry, the ministry of death. <laughs> and then he calls it in verse um, 9, uh, the ministry of condemnation. And then he contrasts it with this ministry of righteousness. I mean, goodness gracious, ladies and gentlemen, just on the face of the things, does anybody want to be a part of a ministry of death? I mean, or is a ministry of condemnation any more appealing to you? Those are some pretty strong, that's pretty strong language that Paul uses uh, to describe uh, another approach to ministry, gang, uh, other than this one that he says that is his, uh, this ministry of righteousness. And then we talked about verse 17 in particular. Now where the, uh, the, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so freedom is the, uh, the very antithesis of of legalism, and um, so I'm suggesting that Paul is describing a legalistic ministry here, and he uses some pretty, pretty rough terms, ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. So tonight, what I want to add to those three, those three characteristics, self-glory, misdefining godliness, and undervaluing uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, is that I, I, I want to um, um, I, I want to mention. Three telltale signs, things that you can look for um, in, our, in our church, in this ministry, and see, I mean, if these things are uh, around here someplace, then, then we're, um, we're, we're in a, 
we've got a hold of something that, that's not healthy. Um, so just three things. They're, they're not characteristics of legalism. They would just, they would, legalism would show up in your congregation, in your ministry, like this. These three telltale signs. Here's the first one. Is that um, legalism has a has a an uncanny knack of producing moral policemen. Um, that is, people who feel it is their duty, their job, their calling to um, to blow the whistle every time they see uh, a violation. They they only have two they only have two crayons, and one is white and one is black. And so they color uh, only in those colors because um, they are moral cops. Now, gang, I hate to tell you this uh, because, I, you know, you can misunderstand this. But I hate to be the, the, the one to inform you, but there are things in the Christian world that are gray. Now, did I just say that there is no such thing as moral absolutes? I did not. I believe there are moral absolutes, ladies and gentlemen. I'll mention several tonight. But there are some things that are grace. And if you in evangelicalism have, 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 have grown to fear the whole idea of permitting anything gray, then let me let you lighten up a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. Let me give you an example. You want an example of a gray? Here's one. Modesty. Now, you say, well, you know, I don't agree with that. I mean, my goodness, I know, I know something immodest when I see it. Well, how about this, ladies and gentlemen? Um, who, who um, <clears throat> by the way, I, don't hear me saying I'm opposed to modesty. I think all of us, men and women alike, should be modest. Absolutely. But my question is, who gets to determine the standards for modesty? Because, ladies and gentlemen, on one end of the spectrum... There is the Amish. And then the Mennonites. And then, have you ever been around some really serious Pentecostals? Um, I mean, uh, who's, all the dresses or skirts go to the ankles? So, I mean, on, on one end of the spectrum, you have the Amish. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Gracie Van, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, um, gang, who gets to determine... What is modesty? Because I'm telling you, if you let the Amish do it, every one of you ladies are going to have to change how you dress and change what you put on your face and change how you do your hair. Um, so, guys, they're, they're, I, I'm saying there are grays, and, and um, legalistic ministries have, a, have a, a way of breeding people who, who um, consider themselves... or consider that they have the right to blow the whistle on violations that they see in you. And so they go up and down the halls and just take the issue of modesty and they say, well, you know, there's one over there. I mean, you know, that, that she shouldn't be dressed like that. You know, when well, gang, again, modesty is a wonderful thing. It's a value. It ought to be a value among us. But, but the point is, who gets to define it? Because I can show you some people who would uh, really embarrass us in terms of their definition. I mean, would embarrass I mean, the Amish. Are they modest? If they are, then what are you? Do you see the problem, guys? There's the, the establishment of moral 
cops. Um, it, it's just an ugly thing. And, and um, you know, it seems like the, these folks, their whole, uh, they're, theirs is a, a sanctification by vinegar. You know, they're, they're sour and they're blowing whistles uh, on, on things that they think are violations. You know, um, <laughs> you know, guys, um, I can't tell you that story. I can't tell you that one. I, I'm sorry. Um, all right, let, let, me get, let me move on to the second telltale sign. Um, that legalists find it their duty and their God-given ability to assign motives um, for people's behavior. Um, he did that because. Or, um, I know why. <laughs> no, you don't. He wants to be an elder because. Gang, let me, let me um, point out something to you. There's a couple of verses in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible that the whole world seems to know. The whole world knows these two verses. Number one, wives submit. The whole world knows that verse. The other one that they tend to know is this. Judge not lest ye be judged. Now, gang, what is that? What, when am I guilty of judging? When have I violated that text? When have I become judgmental? Let's say that you're a thief and you're caught in your thievery. And I say, you're a thief. Is that judgmentalism? No, ladies and gentlemen, I've taken a biblical term and I've applied it to an act that you have become grown fond of. If you have an affair... And I call you an adulterer. That's not judging you. But if I say, I know why you had that affair. At that point, ladies and gentlemen, I have crossed the line. Because what it is said is I have an ability to not only measure your external act, but I also know the why behind that external act. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a violation of Matthew 7, 1. I am not in any way judging you if you have an affair and I call you a, an adulterer. Or if you steal something and I call you a thief. You have, you have violated a biblical norm and I've applied the biblical norm to your behavior. But if I suggest that I know the motives behind the action, then, ladies and gentlemen, I've gone too far. Um, and, and I hate to inform you, but you do not have the ability, you do not, to read my heart. Now, you can, you, can, you can evaluate my actions, yes, sir. But you cannot read my heart, and I'm telling you, legalists assign motives. They love to assign motives. You know, um, for the legalist, God is just not capable of correcting his children. So we got to help. Well, we have to, um, we, we got more confidence in our criticism than we've got in his spirit to produce change. Guys, um, I, I want you to go back with me and look at the passage that spawned this whole attack by me at legalism. It's in Romans 14. I, I want you to go there and, and I want to just remind you of a couple of things that Paul said in Romans 14. Romans 14. First, look at verse 10. He says to his audience, 
Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, guys, stay with me. In my opinion, Romans 14.10 is the scandal of the church. It is the obscenity of the Christian church. Because according to this text, if we are willing to assign motives, that is, pass judgment, verse 10, if I am willing to assign motives to your acts, then notice what the next small step is. Why do you despise your brother? From there, ladies and gentlemen, my willingness to pass judgment on your actions, it is but a small step to take where we can also make some kind of arbitrary evaluation of your worth. Look, why do you despise your brother? Do you see how those things are joined back to back? Why do you pass judgment? Ah, if that's your tendency then the next step you take is that you feel you have an ability to to arbitrarily evaluate somebody else's worth. I despise him. He does that on me. He did this and I know why. Gang, that is a very slippery slope. Why do you pass judgment? Because from there, then you start assigning value to people arbitrarily based on standards that are known to you and to you alone. And it is wicked, ladies and gentlemen. It is not only a violation of Matthew 7, 1. It's a violation of this whole chapter known as Romans 14. Now, guys, stay with, I mean, follow me. This is a little sequence here. I have given you two earmarks thus far. Two earmarks of a ministry of death, a ministry of condemnation. Those earmarks are brought on by a loss of freedom due to the devaluation of the Holy Spirit's ministry. If you devalue the Holy Spirit's ministry, then you lose freedom. You become a ministry of death. And it gives rise to moral cops and people who are willing to assign motives. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I may have done something positively wicked, but you don't know why I did it. And and, and my motives might have been just as rotten as the act. Yes, but you don't know that. You don't have the ability to read my motives. So stop it. We cannot assign motives, guys. And I'm telling you, we are, every one of us, guilty. Once you start saying, they did it, and I know why, you, that, that ought to just set off something inside. Oh, stop right there. Don't go any further. Now, let me give you the third one. Rather, and we've really kind of already gone over this before, so I'm not going to spend but a quick minute on it. But rather than promote a personal responsibility to God and his spirit, or that is to God, the Holy Spirit, we promote an accountability to each other. Now, guys, there's one sense in which accountability to, I mean, if I'm struggling with porn, which I'm not, but if I were, it would be good to have somebody to help me be accountable. But ladies and gentlemen, ultimately, my porn problem is not, I am not accountable to you for it. I'm accountable. By the way, I don't have a porn problem. That's on tape, isn't it? Um, My accountability is to God. 
And that's what I mean by we devalue the role of the Holy Spirit. Gang, I don't want to give up porn. I don't, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in porn. But I don't want to give up porn so that I can make you happy. I want to give up. <laughs> this, <laughs> I'm trapped. <laughs> I want to give up porn because I'm accountable to God for it. And it's a violation of his holiness. It's just one of the earmarks of legalism, ladies and gentlemen, that, I, that I'm, I'm afraid that you're going to find out. Well, for heaven's sakes, that would, be, that would be ugly. But it doesn't compare to the one before whom the sin was committed. And it wasn't committed before you. Now, you might get spilled on. You might get hurt by my sin. But ultimately, my sin is before God. So those are, it creates moral cops. It, it encourages people to think that they've got ability to evaluate uh, motives. And, and it, is, it, it promotes a kind of personal responsibility and I mean, a, 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 it, it devalues a personal responsibility to God and promotes an accountability to other people. Now, gang, if, if you want to publish a set of f- 40 favorite rules of Pharisees and me, you go right ahead. In fact, I, let me just say, I hope you will have a list of the convictions that you have developed over many years of following Jesus Christ. I hope you do have some serious convictions. Just don't publish them as the voice of God. Nor try to make your rules normative for the rest of us. You think that every Christian ought to be in church on Sunday night. I hope you have such a conviction. It was a, it's a good conviction. Just don't try to make it mine. You publish your rules, and you and you <laughs> observe them. Just don't try to disseminate them among the rest of them and make them normative for all of us. Guys, all of us have got to forget the difference in our convictions about what God desires and what God desires. <laughs> Did you get that? You better make a distinction between what you think God desires and what God desires. Because ultimately, we're all wrong about some things. So, um, you know, gang, I, I, hope you, I hope you don't get the wrong impression from me. I, I, all of us are duty-bound to obey the voice of God. It's just the voice of Jimmy Young that you don't have to obey. If God says, thou shalt not steal, you should not steal. That's the voice of God. But if I say, you stay away from the dance hall, you figure it out whether it's your conviction or not. First of all, if I were to ever say something like that, shoot me. (laughs) Just shoot me. But guys... We all have this notion that we've, we've, we've got a hold of, of what God is like. Good. Follow your convictions. Just don't publish them. Um, no one has the right to give someone else his rules to live by. I got some rules. and You know, you know guys, well... There are some things that are 
that are weaknesses of mine that I have to, that I have to avoid. You know, l- let me give you an example. Um, I mean, I've used this example, not this particular one, but about alcohol consumption. Some of you have abused alcohol. And so it is your conviction that you can never again touch a drop of alcohol. Way to go. Way to go. That's a good thing. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the conviction of the rest of us. You know? Um, guys, the standard that, that, and I've said this, and we're going to continue to say this, loyalty to Christ and the power of the Spirit, that should be our clarion call. Let's everybody be loyal to Christ and the power of the Spirit. Nothing, in my opinion, so chokes the heart and the soul as does legalism. Now, let, let, me, let me close um, with... I, I want to mention two enormous ramifications of legalism. And this is my opinion. Uh, here's, here's what happens in legalistic environments. Legalistic environments... I don't know whether to use the word creates or encourages. I'll just use the word creates. It creates neurotics. Gang, I'm going to read this out of the book. And I'm, I'm sorry that um, because I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm going to read this out of a book. Because once I read it, somebody in this room is going to not like it. So when you, do, when you don't like it, just blame it on the book. I'm just reading you a little something out of a book that I, I loved by Steve Brown. Do you know the name Steve Brown? No more Mr. Nice Guy. This book has been around for 20 years. But um, he's talking about neurotics. Now, gang, I'm going to read it, okay? It comes from the book. I wouldn't dream <laughs> of saying something like this. Does anybody recognize the name Paul Tournier? Anybody recognize that name? He's a Swiss psychiatrist, um, or a, a Christian, well thought of, has written several things that are... But anyway, he's quoted in this first chapter right here. And this Swiss psychiatrist was asked to give a definition for a neurotic. I'm reading from the book. <laughs> a simple definition of the term neurotic, he said, a neurotic is a person who cannot say damn. I just read it from the book. I, I wouldn't dream of... Now, now, gang, I am not trying to encourage you in any kind of um, foul language. Not at all. I'm just saying that one of the results of legalism is that it creates this neurosis that... I don't know if I'm going to say the right things. And I surely wouldn't want to embarrass myself in front of the rest of those people. And you live neurotically. Gang, I brought another book with me. I won't read from it. I just want to show you the title of the book. Toxic Faith. How do you like that? The, the, um, the people who write on the back of the book, you know, saying, read this book. Um, 
Tony Campolo, Bill Hybels, you don't know this name, Dr. Archibald Hart, he, uh, Jim Dobson um, uh, interviews him once a year just about. But in this book, there is a group that has been developed called, I mean, he tells you about it in here. I mean, you can contact them if you like. It's called Evangelicals Anonymous. How do you like that? It's come to this, that the Christian church has created a, a ministry that's needed because people have become neurotic by living in certain environments in the Christian church. Certain environments where the faith is toxic. Who wants to be with them people? They're neurotic. You know, guys, recently, um, you're not going to like this either. Y'all are going to talk better about me, but um, recently um, I was in a conversation. I mean, it was, it was several months back, but recently um, I was in a, a conversation where a husband was telling me that, um, that his wife had had an affair. And... Um, in, in a kind of a casual circumstance. Um, <laughs> this just shows you what a bad counselor I am, ladies and gentlemen. In another circumstance, he ran into the man with whom his wife had had an affair. And the man wanted to talk about how fond he was of this man's wife. <laughs> and I said, what did you do at that point? Well, he told me what he said, and I said, why didn't you deck him? <laughs> you know, ladies and gentlemen, I probably, if they'd have come to my, well, that man hit me, I'd say, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. But there's something healthy about responding rightly to the egregious nature of sin. But we're too neurotic. We've got the notion that Christian means it's a cult of niceness. That, ladies and gentlemen, is created by the neuroses that come from legalism. That's just an opinion. You can, you can dismiss it as you, as you like, but I'm telling you guys, freedom, freedom doesn't produce neurotics. You know, gang, there is a statement in uh, Galatians chapter 5, this is verse 15, where Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. You know, these people need to go to Evangelicals Anonymous. Biting and devouring because we think we're the moral policemen that can assign motives and you're accountable to me. That's legalism. You like that? Well, Paul calls it a ministry of... of, um, Condemnation, the ministry of death, and so do I. Now, i got five more minutes. i got to say one more thing, and then I'm done. Gang, this is just an opinion. I'm just saying that this, um, these are ramifications. I've given you two. It creates neurotics. And secondly, legalism creates an environment of repudiation. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I looked up 
repudiate in the, in the dictionary. And it had three definitions. To repudiate means, A, to reject as having no authority. B, to cast off or disdain. C, to reject with denial. And I'm telling you, I mean all three of those. Legalism creates an environment of repudiation. It creates an environment where our young reject what we've said as having no authority. It, um, it, it encourages our young to cast off or disown. It encourages to reject with denial. Gang, you know, one of the problems, and, and you know, if you know anything, if you know anybody that's Jewish, one of their major concerns, I just had this conversation uh, six days ago with uh, someone who's Jewish. He's a dear guy. Love the guy. Um, and his concern is that so many of their young are marrying Gentiles. You do know, don't you, that Islam, one of the things that they hate about us is that when they move over here, their young adopt all of the Western ideas and they start wearing bathing suits and all those terrible things. And, and what, what you've had, what you've seen, what Judaism has seen, it's a problem in Judaism today, is that parents have watched their children abandon their language and their heritage and the customs of their family so that they can adopt this, this new way of living, this teenage subculture of modern America. That's a problem in Judaism. It's a problem, but less of a problem in Islam because they kill them if they, if they you know, wear a bathing suit. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, that same environment of repudiation is created by legalistic parents. And we sit back and watch our children abandon our faith, casting aside all of our our beliefs and our rules. Here's a quote for you. Well, this is my own. This is mine. But the next one is not mine. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, legalism makes apostasy easy. Now, let me close with this because this is utterly profound. This is not mine. This is Gresham Machen. Gresham Machen was a, a professor at Westminster Seminary. He's dead now. But this is what he says, guys, and this is just a sentence, but it is profound. He says, a low view of law leads to legalism in religion. A high view makes us seek grace. Let me explain. Very frankly, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, legalists have a low view of the law. Because what they've done is that they've, they've, de- they've uh, misdefined godliness. They've lowered all the standards down to the place where they can keep them. So, a low view of law creates legalism. A high view of law makes us seek grace because we know that we can't keep that. Thus, we need a Savior. So ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, legalism doesn't promote law. 
promotes legalism. That's what it promotes. With neurotics and an atmosphere of repudiation. So it makes it easy for our our children to, to become apostate. When you've got a high view of law, you know what you do? You seek Christ. And that's what the law is supposed to do to us. It's supposed to convict us that we need a Savior. If you lower it where everybody can keep it, who needs Jesus for that? But if you honor it, then people are driven to the Savior. A low view of law leads to legalism and religion. A high view makes us seek grace. With that, I'm done. Our Father, I I pray that you would never allow um, some to creep in unawares and to rob us of our freedom. Would you enable us to spot it and to uh, um, reject it and to live in freedom, the freedom that is only produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit granted to those who have embraced the Savior as theirs. And so, Father, might Grace Evan forever be known as a place where, where the Holy Spirit's ministry is valued and, and esteemed. And at the same time, as we are enjoying our freedom, might the law be put in its rightful place as that thing which will ultimately convince us that what we need more than anything is a Savior. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.